0: And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of MythBits. You made an excellent choice. The World of MythBits. Welcome to the World of Myth bets episode 92. I am your special guest host, David K. Montoya. All right, gang, I am happy to be here and covering this round of the podcast. Today, we've got a very special, what we all look forward to. Uh, when I put in my stuff to the World of Myth and Stephanie looks at it, I look forward to being reviewed. That's right, today is the issue, review, Um, and I've gone in, I went in yesterday, I read everything, I made notes, so I'm going to hit each and every item, Uh, but before we get started, I do have some official housekeeping that people have been so patiently waiting for. First of all, uh, thank you to everybody that's dropped me an email or a message, you know, as far as me going on vacation for like two and a half weeks and disappearing, Um, I know that kind of put a kink in everybody's schedule but it was it was really it was great. It was a great experience. And other than having really crummy internet 99% of the time, uh, I really well actually you know what it, it probably helped because without the internet, I couldn't work. And since I couldn't work, I had to enjoy my vacation. So I did I did you know I, I did very minimal work. I think I put up just a couple of podcasts when I had a good signal uh, and uh Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, Okay, so what I'm referring to is the Open Contract Challenge. We are down to the semifinals, folks. That's right. Um, Let me hit you with a little bit of information about what I want for the semifinals. And it's the synopsis. Yes, the dreaded synopsis. The next round, we'll see your synopsis of the manuscript that you are preparing make sure that you write a proper synopsis now you need to know that only two of the five are going to go into the finals obviously you're going to go head to head and you ask well who are the five all right uh, contestant Let's see. Contestant number one. I have them kind of out of order, so i got to kind of look at it and put it in order. Contestant number one is Gabriella Belcom. Contestant number three is J. Robert Bellamy. Contestant number four is Jason Wint. Contestant number five is Walter G. Esselman. And contestant six is... Is Chris Bryce now? I know that you're like, well, what's going on? But when when we originally started this, each person now they start as an entry number, and if they move from the entry into contestant, that is their assigned contestant number. So, for example, um, Walter G. Esselman. He moved into contestant five. So he is consistently through the entire contest, as far as he goes, will always be referred to as contestant number five. Now, it doesn't mean anything other than just able for me to keep track of who's advancing and who's not advancing. So once again, and this is in no particular order, I'm just reading it off the way it's on my list at the moment. It's J. Robert Bellamy, Jason Went, Gabriella Belcombe. Walter G. Esselman, Chris Bice. All right, gentlemen and lady. uh, What we're going to do is we are uh, hopefully that all of you will listen to it today. If not, uh, of course, as per standard one, like what, five days, four days after the podcast is announced, you will get an official email from me or from one of the people that are helping me with the contest. And it will tell you everything If you've missed this podcast. Now, here's the important thing. What is the deadline? Deadline for the semifinals is 1159, August 31st. So there you go. I'll give it to you one more time. The deadline for semifinals is August 31st. 11:59 Pacific Standard Time because we are in California. Well, I'm in California, so there you go. Um, And good luck to everybody. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me. uh, Or if you just want to, you know, general contact, uh, you can contact the. uh, I'm not sure who's manning the guns right now. Because, again, I've been gone for two and a half weeks. But you can go to opencontractchallenge.com or you can email opencontractchallenge at jayzomon, and drop them a line. If they don't know the answer to your question, it will get forward to me. And if I don't know, I'll make something up. That's how it works. All right, gang. So here we go. Um, we are diving into... Issue 86, the July episode, or episode, I'm stuck on a podcast at the moment. Uh, The July issue of the World of Myth magazine, number 86. And, you know, originally it was supposed to be a small, just kind of pop and go issue. Because I needed something easy. Uh, Because I was, again, going on vacation, and I was like, okay, well, let's just do this. But our little issue kind of turned into something large. I think there was over, like, 40-something pages that I created. And plus I implemented new HTML coding with the CSS. I don't know if you folks noticed it. if you look at like the title bar, the title bar has kind of changed a little bit where it says, you know, home stories, poetry, artwork, review, podcast submissions, uh, contributors and back issues. Now, that's kind of a biggie because a lot of people like have asked, where is the submission guidelines? Now, if typically if you go to the very first page, well, the very first page of the cover, but if you click on the cover and you go inside, you will see the first page of the world myth magazine and your four boxes in, and it says submission guidelines. That is always where the guidelines have been. Now, now you can go up and up at the title bar next to podcast, because I kind of rearranged everything. Um, you'll see there is now a page for submissions. Okay. Also, if you, Anybody has ever I don't know if anybody actually pays attention to to the website um other than just you know going and looking at their own stuff but if there's ever been any question okay um on the front page down at the very bottom right underneath where you know the the introduction featured article member of the month uh, submission guidelines, and join our mailing list, there's a, a list of links underneath. And it's about us, contacts, banner exchange, copyright and trademarks, and, uh, advertisers, masthead, in memory of, and then a corporate. Yes, we are corporate. Uh, we are part of the Jason Mon Dark Myth Company. We merged it. What did we merge it? Last year? I think we merged it together last year. And we hold uh, a license on that. So uh, if at any point in time you you have a question or you just you know, for example, uh this will be in every issue. It's been in every issue since we came back in twenty seventeen and it's in memory of uh which is a it's it's almost like a Wikipedia page, the way I saw it in my head. So when I designed it. Um just you know, an ode to Terry D. Shear. I don't know. I know a lot of new people probably don't know the back history of the world of myth, but uh, Terry D. Shearer was my first editor in chief of the world of myth magazine. He passed away in 2016, uh, and he was my mentor, and he was, you know, one of my dearest, closest friends for many, many, many years. So as an ode to him in his memory, there's, uh, you know, in your memory. So there's that kind of stuff. Also up at the top, if you've never actually thought about it, if you have ever contributed to the World of Myth magazine, you click on contributors up at the title bar, and then you click on the letter, the first letter of your last name, and it will take you to that, you know, list of people with the same letter of the last name. Find your name, click on that bad boy. And you get your own personal page. I've talked to people recently. And they're like, I have my own personal page? Yes. I update it. Every single submission that you put in, I personally update. Okay. So for example, for myself, okay, I click on Contributors. My last name is obviously Montoya. I click on Montoya or click on M, right? Find Montoya. There is uh, myself, my son, and my late wife. So I click on myself, right? And it literally it it will give you my uh, my bio, which I don't know if you've noticed. the bio is a little different. It's a different type of coding, and it makes it easier for me to code every single bio for new uh, new and returning contributors. Anyway, so it you know it has the bio, has the name, and then it has every single submission. That I've done. So five drabbles, I've done 13 fantasy, six horror, uh, a ridiculous amount of, of let's see, 56 uh, action and suspense. I've done three sci fi, I've done nine humor. Uh, a long time ago, we had uh, we, we had a magazine called Herodica, and we actually merged it for like one or two uh, issues of the world of myth. It was called the Realm of Herodica. Um, I have a, a story in that. It's called Circus Circus. I have a total of, let's see, I have 47 pieces of art, two poems, and 86 columns that I've written. That's, uh, yeah. I've been around since, well, I I'm, I'm kind of founded the thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been involved since almost every issue I've been involved. So, uh, the one reason I'm putting that out there is because I feel like all that work is not being uh, noticed. So, instead of just like putting out, you know, one page, you promote yourself. That's why I created this to promote you and all that you do. Uh, just go copy the link and put it on any social media and it will literally take you to whatever you've done for the world of myth. Plus I always, uh, suggest and encourage that in your bio, if you have a website, you need to add that bad boy. If you have social media, add it too. I have zero problem adding links to each contributor. Uh, I want to promote you and I want the best and successful opportunities given to you if I can help be a stepping stone okay all right gang so let's go ahead and jump back to issue 86 of the world of myth okay before we get started um, one of the things that I want to make note is that because I really didn't give a lot of our columnists a lot of time So, like, for example, the Myth Master, his uh, interview and podcast carried over from last month. Uh, Michael Arnold, his uh, book review and his art review carried over to the next month. So, I will not be reviewing those particular things because Stephanie uh, reviewed them last time, okay? Um, So, I do apologize to the Myth Master, and i apologize to michael and anybody else that missed the deadline because again i it was it was like the 8th i think the 8th or the 10th no we launched on the 10th i believe so it was probably like the 8th of last month i know it's usually the 20 no deadline is the 15th so for example august we're back in the regular deadline deadline for submissions is august 15th and we will come out august 24th back to regular schedule, but just because I was going on vacation last month, we made it early, and a couple people missed the deadline, and i that's my fault, so I apologize for that. Okay, we are starting the issue 86 with Drabble and Flash. Now, we always do this. This is our newest uh, addition to the world of myth, and I, I've always enjoyed writing uh, what would become Drabble. Uh, honestly, I didn't know it actually had a name. It, I always used it as a warm-up tool to to get into my writings, you know, because of my short stories, writing a novel, whatever. I always use it as a a warm-up tool. and it was brought to us that this is something this was a, a, a an acceptable subgenre of writing. So you know, Steffi and I uh, talked about it and we decided to bring it in. so, that being said, let's jump into Drabble and Flash, which is uh, going to be starting the issue. Our first is Falling Apple by newcomer PC Um, Now, with this, it, it's a fun story. Uh, you know, being Drabble, it's, it's difficult to tell a full story in 100 words. But some people just have that... Skill where you can literally put a beginning, middle, and end in a hundred words, and uh, Mr. Darkcliff has that ability, and it's it's a fun take on Isaac Newton and how he he his theory and eventual law of gravity takes place. It's it's really fun. It's really fast. Uh, and it's really well written and uh, I welcome to the world of myth, uh, Mr. Darkcliff, and I hope to see more of your work. I really enjoyed it. And like I said, it, it's really it, it, it's got a nice spin to it. I didn't see it coming. And then when I, I seen it, I was like, oh, OK, I get you. I get exactly what you're doing. And uh, that was really fun. Second up on the list for the Flash and Dravel is The End by Nora Jean Garcia. Uh, Now, this, The End, caught me, because I I did something called The End a long time ago, so it just kind of caught my attention. I really enjoyed it. Um, As I'm looking at the notes here, it says two sisters as they exit through what I think is the final days of mankind. My question was, what was the motivation for the kid to kill the person in the story? Now, again, it's this, I believe, was more of a flash fiction than Drabble. I'm pretty sure it was more than a hundred words, if I remember right. Um, and it, it, at first I was like, what's going on, what's going on? And then you realize the, the, the motive, well, not, you don't really get the motivation, but you find out that there's more going on than what you're really comprehending at first. And then it hits you in the end and you're like, Oh, well, what, what happened? What happened? So, um, what I would like is I'm personally going to reach out to, uh, Miss Nora Jean Garcia and say, Give me a second part. Give me, give me something that will kind of tell me and the rest of the readers what was, what was the child's motivation. Uh, was just a psychopath or what was it? Because I, I, you pulled me in, you sucked me in, and I was like, ooh, and then, and, and I, I want more. So there you go. Uh, and that was the end by Nora Jean Garcia. Good job. Then we go to uh, someone who I, I've become uh, friends with personally recently over the last few months. Uh, Jim Bates and I, I, I have to ask if, if Jim you know he likes to he likes to play with emotion and um, this this drabble that he did this month is called Daddy or actually it, it that's not the right inflection it's actually daddy it's a it's d-a-d-d-y question mark so like daddy you know and you know i'm I'm a sucker for nine-year-old daughters why because next month in september i'm going to have a nine-year-old daughter and uh you know i i saw that daddy was a zombie in my head okay and for a Drabble and only be a hundred words, it was so powerful and creative, you know. And, and, and again, being the father of a nine-year-old um, daughter, it, it, it moved me. It moved me to, you know, kind of, okay, I won't lie. I, I seen my kid, uh, Zoe, and I see myself as the zombie. That's that's. The way I saw it. And it was very, very gripping, very powerful, very moving. And it was all done within 100 words. And um, it was just, it was, I, I enjoy his drabbles. I enjoy them solid every time. I don't think he's actually written a drabble that I've not liked, to be honest with you. I, I've liked them all. I really enjoy his writing. Jim is a, a fantastic writer and he's a, a really cool person as well. So there you go, Jim. uh, Jim Bates and his travel daddy. All right, then we cross the pond to jolly old England, which you know, which is funny because Steve, Stephen Bruce, isn't doesn't really produce anything really jolly. he is another one that is just one of those wordsmiths that can really just grab you and, and, and shake you by his words. And with this one, with Gristle, okay, what a freaking great twist, okay? And, and like Jim, you know, another great Drabble that is powerful and moving. Uh, you know, that's that's what he gets for, you know, Okay, let me back up. I'm 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 almost jumping, and um, I jumped into the story without realizing. that I caught myself. The the character, you know, that is what happens. Uh, he's just this this crappy jerk of a man, and he gets he gets what's coming to him, you know, because he's cheating on his wife, and he thinks she's an idiot, and she's got a Ph.D. But, you know, she's really, she, she, she's going to get the last laugh in the end when he realizes exactly where that gristle came from. So, Steve, good job. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming back for the World of Myth, and I look forward to more that you do. Um, I know that you have a story and poetry in here, but I'm just saying I, I enjoy your drabbles as well. Okay. Uh, let's see. Then we jump to Not a Big Deal by Gabriella Belcom. Now, this is another one. I did not see that ending coming. Um Nematod is a a plant parasite, okay? And how odd that they're coming up from the ground, you know, because again, it's it's a it's a parasite. And you know wow what (laughs) what do they have in store for the humans and uh, it's just it's one of those good solid like i said earlier you know you, you don't have a lot to work with to tell a beginning middle and the end and this one has achieved that as well and so i really enjoy this one keep up the good work and i will see what you come up with next time actually you've got another one in here don't you Next up, we have The Traveler by Christopher Bice. Um, Let's see. I'm looking at my notes here. This one had me thinking, was this person who traveled the astroplanes to another to find beauty? Or was it a metaphor for the act of dying and traveling to the other side? Um, You know, and, and that's kind of, that's very Chris as far as his style. Because it can be taken so many different ways. And yet the journey, the travel, no pun intended, is is so delightful and entertaining. So at the end, of the, like, this was one of the ones where, okay, I finished reading like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm sitting there reflecting back on my notes, you know, making sure I have all my notes. And, I, and this is one of the stories that I was like stuck in my head you know what was it was he traveling the universe trying to find you know a, a someone he loved a beauty you know a, a, in my mind you know like a, a an intergalactic beautiful space princess or was it something more dark and sinister like you know the process of, of dying because it works both ways and it is just it Actually, you know what, you're you going to have to email me, Chris, and tell me, because that is one of the ones I want to know, is what what is the actual interpretation? Because, it, it again, it, it could be either or, and it works so perfectly well. So keep up the good work as well, Chris, and yeah, drop me a line. Let me know, you know, what the actual interpretation is, my curiosity. I'm a Taurus, so I'm always curious. And that was *The Traveler* by Christopher Bice. Now we go to *The Final Straw* by again Gabriella Belcombe. Now this one I will say, um, this one was one of my favorites of the Drabbles this month. Um, I'm a big fan of George Orwell, and I've, you know, I've read, you know, obviously *1984*, and one in particular is the first book of his that I read was called *Animal Farm*. And the final straw made me think of George Orwell's Animal Farm. I, I really enjoyed the story as it draws you in quickly. And I really liked how there was a change in perspective from the humans to the animals. Again, it, it almost felt like a, a, a rendition of of Animal Farm. I really, I dug it. Because at first you're, you're thinking about the cows through the humans and then it switches from the human or the cow's perspective to the humans and and the cows are a lot smarter than what we think they are and this is one of those stories that would really i i would like to read more i would like i mean this is honestly this is one of those stories that could be turned into a novel uh that could literally be just like the, the beginning of a novel, and I would be totally in for it, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoy Gabby's, I, I don't know if I should call her Gabby, Gabriela. um I, I enjoy her writing and her drabbles and her fiction, so I, I personally, I would like to have more of this story, so there you go. Okay, then we go to Vacation Lunch Break. And I I literally laughed out loud um, because, you know, obviously I just came back from my own vacation and we drove through. Okay, I live in California, so we drove through uh, a little bit of Nevada. We drove through Arizona. We drove through New Mexico. We drove through Texas, through Oklahoma and into Arkansas and then uh, a little bit of Louisiana for like a side trip. So, you know, we, we traveled a lot of the United States and there was one particular place. Um, I don't really know if I should mention what state Oklahoma or what city it was in, which I, I don't think I'm going to tell you what city it is because I, I don't want, you know, but um, yeah, we, we came across the town with uh, a, a misspelling of, of a sign and um yeah <laughs> just like your your characters in the story we kept on moving man we're like you know commas commas are, are are a precious commodity and you know if you don't place them in the right place you could be saying something completely different and uh, just like your characters, we, <laughs> we kept on moving. We're like, we'll get gas in the next town. Uh, even though it was like 100 and something miles away, we're like, nope, 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 we we'll are keep on going. Uh, and uh, that was, it was kind of fun because I got to connect on that type of personal uh, connection there with your story. And again, it is Vacation Lunch Break by James Rumple. And I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for making me laugh out loud. I always enjoy that. Then you've got some hack. I don't know this guy. He's he's kind of worthless in my book. His his name is David K Montoya, and he wrote uh, a story called Des- Deadly Business. And um, you know it, it's it's yeah, eh. It was a drabble. It was a hundred words. Um, it, it's one of those stories where. I sit there and I'm like, what if and, uh, you know, everybody knows about the COVID-19 pandemic and all that that's going on, the craziness and the lockdown and this and that. And plus, I live in California, so, you know, we have an extra sense of everybody's freaking out and everything's locking down. So uh, my imagination just kind of got away with me with a what if and I kicked out, you know, what if a guy was hired to create this? And now that it's out of control and people are coming back and they're going to find out that he's the one who crafted this virus, you know, he was a dead man. So he decided to take the fast way out before becoming, you know, a media spectacle. And, uh, yeah, eh, eh, I'm a hack. I admit it. I I openly admit it on on the air. I'm a hack. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's my Drabble deadly business, okay? All right, well, that is the end of Drabble and Flash. Uh, We are getting ready to gear up and head into the fantasy section with a brand-new contributor, S.N. Rogers, and her story, Don't Tell. And I'm looking at the the notes here, and it says, this was a fun story. Was the mermaids and the Bermuda Triangle, you know, and, and how the author explained in a new and creative way, and totally think Scott did the right thing, because who knows what would have happened if he did tell the truth, now I, I really that was one of the ones it was clever and it almost had a sense of like a Greek mythology to it um, and it just had that flavor, and I really I, I dug it, and you know when you're reading content uh, unexpectedly, you know, in the middle of night, and and sometimes you're tired, and and I was, I was tired, but it pulled me in so much. The the, the clever crafting of the story and the the positionings and of how you created the sentence was really really entertaining. And I like I said in my notes, I really like the idea of how you put together. A Mermaid Story and the Explanation of the Bermuda Triangle. It was very clever, very well written, and I sincerely enjoyed it. So welcome to the world of myth, and I hope to have you back next month. So well done. Great job. Okay, we are moving on to the next one, which is The Curious Adventure of Goglin Krish, I believe, or Krish, by Steve Carr. And it is, uh, about a, it's not your typical train hopper. Um, it's very whimsical, obviously, ending up in the the fantasy section. Um, and it's, you know, after being ran off a train and he meets up with a pixie, but it's, it's a story about artists and the magic that they hold in their, their, their creative visual wonders. And you find it's just. It's so. To me, it felt like very, like, 1960s art literature esque. It, it just, like, I don't know. I, I, I hold a special place in my heart for that type of nostalgia, especially when it comes to art. And, you know, how you wrapped it with, uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci te- being the teacher and how art. And magic kind of crafted together and I just loved it I did I won't I won't lie uh, it, Steve is one of my absolute favorite authors in and out of the world of myth um, I do happen to peek over and look at his stuff in other magazines I won't lie because I enjoy his work I think he's a very talented writer and I feel very honored and, and lucky to have him you know, uh, submit he is now running his own uh, publications. So on top of the, all his writings, now he's as a publisher myself, I totally understand, you know, the level of work and hours that you have to put in and still turn out quality fiction every month. It's just it's unbelievable. So keep it up, Steve. Thank you so much. And that is The Adventures of Goglin Krish or Kesh by Stephen Carr. Okay, now we're going to jump to part 11 of The Rising. Now, normally I know I, I almost was tempted to call Stephanie and just like put it in because I know Stephanie absolutely loves The Rising. Okay, I know this because when we're not recording, when we're not working on the magazine, she's talking about The Rising and she's talking about Draven. Okay. <laughs> She she like she loves Draven, and uh, I'm looking at my 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 notes here, and I've noticed in this particular uh, installment, it says that Draven is becoming more passive. He seems more gentle with the others. Um, it says uh, while Stephanie does not want him to die. I personally think it is befitting. I, I see him changing. Uh, I obviously he's becoming weaker. He's becoming more sensitive. And sorry, I, I hit the, the the bar here. So I'm switching legs. Hope you can hear me. Um, so he's he's changing. He's he's morphing into a different character. And for me, I think he should get like a hero's death. And I, I I don't know it's just me uh, and I really enjoy it and I hope you keep on going I hope you don't just end it in a couple a couple more uh, installments I think you can take this you could take this easily for another year or two uh, and I, I personally I, I enjoy it uh, maybe not on the realm of what Steph does but I certainly enjoy your story and you know since I'm here I and um, I, I've already mentioned him once in this podcast. I might as well mention him again. Um, Terry Dehir not only was my mentor but was also Jeff's mentor. And I think that Terry would be very proud of the way that you've grown as a writer. Now you've always been an amazing poet, but to watch you grow, as a writer in your, your serial has been absolutely fantastic to watch you grow and develop and and gain these skills. And, and I think wherever Terry's looking from, he's, he's very proud of you. So I, I I know that's kind of a little on the personal side, but I, I just wanted to throw that out there. I think that, um, he would be proud of you and keep up the good work, man. That's you've, you've done a hell of a job. All right, that is Jeff R. Young's "The Rising," part eleven. And let's see—you uh, can hear my notes now. We are leaving the fantasy section and moving into the horror. <laughs> uh, we've we had some really, really good horror stories this this time around. I mean, we always have them, but you know, I honestly, I, I'm so involved with other things lately. Um, I don't really get an opportunity to read and I got to read the entire magazine from front to finish and I, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, it it just, it, it makes me think, and I'm trying not to reminisce because this is a, you know, everybody wants to get to their point of review, but, um, you know, it's, this has really grown from, uh, 2004, you know, September 6th, 2004, when we launched the World of Myth, uh, for the very first time, you know, it, it was, uh, it's, it's really become something. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the first round of horror, and it is from a brand newcomer, uh, Amber Bandrol, or Bandal, Um uh, let me know, uh, right pronunciation, I believe it's Brandal, uh, and she comes up with Grandma's love. Now, this is a very powerful story, and, uh, and as far as you know, story content-wise, it is just it, it grabs you. It's a story about love of a woman who lost her granddaughter. Now, it, it's it's also a modern retelling of Frankenstein. You know, and and it's it's just the old saying: you can always have something good. But it comes with a price. You know, whether it's your actions are good or bad, it always comes with a price. And that is what this story is. As you're trying to figure out what they're doing as far as uh, with the woman in question. Because in the beginning, when they they come across the the grandma saying, you know, about the hair... And then you find out, obviously, if I said that, you know, they're they're it's a modern retelling of Frankenstein. They're putting together uh, a body for the the granddaughter that was killed, and she is she brought back to life, but she's this monstrous Frankenstein-looking monster in my head, and it was just so powerful, so moving, you know, because. You hear the voice of the little girl as she comes back to life, but it doesn't really look like the little girl. But is it the little girl? Is it the soul of the little girl? What You know, it just so many questions. And I really liked uh, how she put it in first person and how it crafted the story. I Because I think if you put it in third person, I don't think it would have been so moving. But... Uh, You know, presenting it in third person was just well-crafted. So, welcome to the world of myth, Amber. And I hope to read more from you as well. And that is Grandma's Love by Amber Brandel. Okay. Now, this one, when I first read it, I I was like, I know this. I know this. And I had to sit and think about it. Now, what I'm talking about is uh, Bladowed. which is is by uh, Bill Gillard, which is another newcomer. Welcome to the world of myth. Um, It's a nightmarish reimagining of the the Welsh mythology of Bladowin. And the wording grabs you from the get-go. Like, the narrator's wife reveals... You know, on a beach that she's pregnant, and then the weird journey that you know it takes you to this like dream state, and the birth of the child, and the owl, and the involvement. Now, if if you are familiar with the the Welsh mythology, it all perfectly fits in, um, but it's it's kind of spun with a horror flavor to it really well done uh i really liked it you know and it, it almost to the end it almost feels like a setup for a sequel but i'm i'm very big on sequels and follow-ups and second stories so you know the more that comes out the more i learn and become familiar with that said character and the story itself and I, i'm always you know promoting more people or people to produce more sequels and follow-ups to their stories. So that is Bada or Bada by Bill Gallard. Welcome to the world of myth, my friend. Okay, and then we move to a veteran for the world of myth, Don DeBrille, as she brings us between the walls. Uh, Don brings yet another great story. Um, it, it had a very Edgar Allan Poe-ish. Bill and the pacing and the storytelling itself, it, it felt it, it had that flavor, you know. You know, you know, you, you read things and you're like like when you go back and you read Edgar Allan Poe, whether it be his poetry or his short stories, it, it's just got that flavor to it. You know it's Poe. And Don brings that flavor to her story, and whether you know. Was it was it red squirrels that she heard, or was it something else? And it, and the ending, you're like, oh crap, you know that's heavy. And again, it felt very poesque, and I really enjoyed it. I I enjoy Don's work. Um, I'm I'm lucky. I I feel so lucky. I really do. You know because 99.9 percent of The things that I read in the world of myth, I sincerely enjoy, and uh, I give that to not only the writers, but to our editor-in-chief, because she goes through and she screens everything as well, and brings in the top talent that we have for the world of myth magazine. So I'm lucky. As the publisher of the magazine, I'm lucky when I get to sit down and read and, and get this top quality work. I mean, you know, there's people that go out and try to write like Edgar Allan Poe, and they just, they miss the mark. And some people just create it, maybe not even unbeknownst to them, but they they nail what that feeling is. So, I am rambling. I enjoyed Between the Walls by Don Burrell. Thank you so much for another great submission. And then we jump back to Mr. Stephen Bruce, like I mentioned earlier from the, uh, the Drabbles. He also sent in a story called The Intruders. And oh, wow, what a story. <laughs> Holy cow, what a story. Um, it's It opens with this this guy. He, he in, breaks into the house, and he comes across this woman who's awake, and she has a scalpel. And she got to drop on them and she pretty much makes them stay and and chat with them all night long until the sun comes up. And when the sun comes up, you find out that, well, the woman isn't quite what you think she was or who she was. And it was just, I didn't see it coming. I honestly did not see it coming. I, it was one of those stories that it, it almost had, and this is how I connect stories. If you haven't figured that out, I kind of connect them with you know other literature, other movies. Um, to me, this almost had like a purge feel to it. You know that movie, The Purge. Um, it it kind of had that feel to it. I, I just, I would. This is one of those mo- or stories that I would like to see like fleshed out and become like a movie. I could totally see it as a movie. Uh, it was really good. The twist. Oh my God! The twist was it was just a uh, you know gruesome. And (laughs) I loved it. I really did. So there you go. Intruders by Stephen Bruce. Uh, It it just, he hit it. He, He hit a home run. And that takes us out of the horror section. And we're moving straight into the action suspense with Key Bearer of the Courthouse by another newcomer, Michael Carter. This one is an interesting ghost story. Uh, it's about a man who was murdered for wanting more money for doing a job. Now, he was, he was building a courthouse, and he wanted more money. And instead of getting more money, he got killed. And you find out that he is the bearer. Of this particular room where you turn on the pink light and it, it kind of gives, there's this myth that, you know, a princess is trapped or it lives up in this, this courthouse and every night, you know, pink light turns on. But in reality, it's a ghost that turns on uh, a pink light to inspire hope. Now, this particular ghost who is telling the story is finally relieved and unfortunately for the other specter uh there's only one way for each ghost to be relieved and it was really well written it really enjoyable and it it was it was it was tender and creepy at the same time it was just really well crafted so well done and welcome to the world of myth mr carter and like everybody I, i sincerely enjoy your work and hope you come back again uh, then we bring in another brand-new writer, Dylan James Harper. And his story for the action suspense is called Falling Trees. Now, there is a ton of backstory that is created. Uh, and, and at first I was wondering why there was a lot of backstory, but then I, I kind of clicked with me. Because the more you know about these two characters, uh, Nathan and Veronica... You you become – there's almost like an intimacy between the two characters. You know them. There's a bond created. And it works really well with all the information which leads toward the end. And then it just like slammed in your face. The twist at the end, you're like, oh. And without that backstory being told, you really would have – I think – that emotional feeling that you have at the end would be lessened. So well done because he took the time to make a backstory to build that relationship between the reader and the characters, just so he could grab you by the feels at the very end. So well done. And I, 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 yeah, that was, that was a heavy, heavy ending. And that was falling trees by Dylan James Harper. Welcome again to the world of myth. Okay, so Miss Anita Gorman, we are to your story, and <laughs> uh, I I know that you know some people do this this weird long story or long names for Stephanie because Stephanie always tries to, you know that that's kind of like the running gag is Ken Stephanie. Uh, figure out what the, the word is. Uh, but the story is the decree of flash, no, i Philification. And though, despite the funny name, the story is very serious and it's intense. Holy crap. It's intense, you know, because it starts out with a woman and she goes through this whole, um, assuming that this is inspired by the COVID-19 coronavirus. Um, you know she she's in the, the her house and she doesn't go anywhere. She she does her routines, and then she's notified via mail by the Department of the Flaschnas Ill Philification. Whew, that's a hard word to say. Um, that her life is worthless, and because of of running supply supplies in the world are running low because of of whatever's going on. Again, it's probably some like a fictitious version of the coronavirus, something like I did in my flash fiction. Um, she's worthless. there's there's no point in keeping her alive. She's locked into her house. She cannot make any type of contact, whether it be through the phone or trying to break the window and telling her neighbor or emailing anything she's stuck in there and now that she's stuck she has to wait to die and again because of the the long kind of silly word which if you actually look up in the dictionary means a point of worthlessness fits the story perfectly and it's very serious it's very intense and i really again i enjoyed it It, and, and it fit it really fit it really worked and the conclusion you you pull away from the story, you're like, "Damn, That was heavy." And I think that was what Anita was going for was a very uh, human heaviness about life and and how people in suits can be determined, you know, whether your life is value valuable or not. It, there's so much subcontext into that story. It was amazing, well-written. And that, again, I will say it one more time. Uh, It is The Decree of the Flash-Nossin Isle Filification by Anita Gorman. Well done, well done. Okay, now we jump to uh, Twist and Turn Part 3 by Peter Astol, And this installment takes place in the 1990s. Um, Like the, the last two parts, the pacing is a little bit fast, on this end, as you find it, it's it's setting up for the next installment for uh, number four, which I believe – actually, I'm, I'm 100% positive. Uh, part four of Twist and Turns will be the conclusion, and it, it's kind of like – how do I explain this? It's kind of like uh, – Okay, remember when The Matrix came out and then Matrix 2 came out? And Matrix 2 was a good standalone story on its own, but you could tell it was just like the fast pacing was building for Part 3, which was like the the creme de la creme, like the the conclusion of the story. That's what this one is. This one, again, is a great story that can stand on its own, but you can also tell by the pacing – that it's increasing the anticipation to find out what happens at the end in part four. And I, I, I have not read part four. Um, I don't know if Stephanie has it or not, but I have not had an opportunity to, to read part four. But I am very interested and curious to see how uh, Peter wraps this up. And that is Peter's uh, Peter Astle's Twist and Turns part three. And uh, honestly, I look forward to seeing how you craft that ending, how you sum it up um, in the the final fourth part. So well done. Okay, now we run to science fiction. Now, I okay. Now let me back up because there were some said some things said about you know not being a science fiction fan. I am a science fiction fan. I enjoy science fiction. I read science fiction. Uh, in fact, I just finished uh, what was I, I? finished H. G. Wells's Time Machine, and I'm rereading one, Within Time, uh, the Douglas Adams classic sci-fi classic, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So I like sci-fi. Um, so with all that said, I was I was very happy to get to this this genre, um, and then we jump into Doug Hawley's Asteroid Part Two. Now, after being bombarded by radiation, people begin to learn that they they're different, and eventually they become evolved. Like, um, you have your unevolved and evolved, and it's not and it, it it's, it's not quite like on a superhero, aspect, though. I I find it almost like a a, a mild if you're a Marvel comic fan, it felt very Marvel comic-ish, by the way, um, which I am a huge Marvel fan. It, it felt like, a, like a, almost a mutant. You know, uh, I, I'm actually a big X-Men fan. In fact, they they mentioned the X-Men and Fantastic Four into this story, and they they evolve into the evolved. Which to me is very much like a mutant, but they don't, you know, they don't fly or they don't don't have that unbelievable power as where like superheroes do. And then they, um, they gather into their own location and then they are attacked by humans, but that's pretty much kind of pointless because, you know, they're... They've they've taken precautions. I think I believe a total of like thirteen people died, and because the president was a, a big fan of the evolved, he just kind of like eh, you know they're idiots. Don't worry about it. And then they they move on to create um, and and bring their knowledge to improve humanity, and I thought it was really cool. And honestly, as a comic book fan, as a Marvel fan. I I think that would be an excellent graphic novel. I'm just saying. Um, I really, really, really dug it, and uh, that's one of those another story. Good gosh, this the whole next issue could be just full of follow-ups from Dave's wanting more of the story. Um, again, uh, liking sci-fi, liking comic book feels, liking marvels. It's, it's just that is particularly something i personally would read when i'm sitting down and have nothing else to do but read uh that is my type of writing so well done doug i really enjoyed it that is asteroid part two by doug holly okay now we're moving to jim bates again jim uh we talked briefly uh you know in the travel section and uh, like i said uh I've, I've gotten to know him. Um, he's a really cool guy, a great writer. And I've really been following his, his, um, his story. And I like how each part, again, like a reference to the, the Matrix that I was talking about recently, is that these are all standalone stories, but... It's an arc or serial to a 10 part miniseries. And this is part eight, The Escape. And this time the four are still on the run from the World Order Police. And I actually thought at this point that they were going to get caught. They were going to get caught, they were going to get arrested. And, you know, they were going to have to, like, you know, break out of jail, save their kid again, that that whole thing. But uh, I was completely wrong. And and Jim kind of narrates us to where we need to go as it's setting up for, the you know, the big finale in two more months. And this is another one that's intense. Um, And just as Jim allows us to breathe, he sets the stage. They are... Low on food, and they're only 20 miles left to their freedom. Do they take it? Do they make the risk? You know, do, uh, 20 miles. I mean, they've already... God only knows how much they've already traveled in the last eight or past seven. These are the number eight. So in the past seven uh, pieces, we don't know how actual far they've traveled. But 20 miles is not that far from freedom. And... So now you're like you're you're like well do our, you know they're gonna do it so let's let's go let's just jump in and see if they make it and then he hits us with be continued and I'm like oh come on <laughs> I gotta wait have to wait until next month to find out what happens and um, it's it's just been a, a blast it's been a fun ride and I really enjoy how he has developed the characters. And to these lovable, sympathetic, and understandable creatures—I say cre- creatures, you know, human beings—but they they are from the, the, the from the future, so they're not quite like us. They're they're a little bit more evolved on the intellectual stage. I, that's just the way I pick it up, and. But there's, there's enough of connectivity as human beings that you feel that, you know, this is all based on the sun being, uh, I don't want to say, well, bullied, beat up, um, you know, in, in the retraining programs in the very beginning. And this is all basically not only a run from freedom from the world order government, but to to protect their child and as a parent i sympathize and gravitate to that mentality because i would do the same thing for my own children so there you go that is part eight in his sci-fi series escape by jim bates well done and that wraps up sci-fi and we are jumping to the yuck yucks as i call it the humor and we return to Mr. Peter Astle again. And this time we get part two of A Good Way to Go. Now, I did read part one. Uh, I, I believe it was, actually, i know I'm, I'm almost positive. It was a suggestion to, to Stephanie because she, she just got a kick out of part one. Um, as the husband decides that he's going to kill his obese wife, Um, because she just makes his life miserable. She's cheated on him with a retired cop. And now that he poisoned her, he's like, well, crap, how do I do this by myself? And he enlists, uh, the, the cop, the wife of the cop, the retired cop that has an affair with Bella. Bella's the, the wife that dies. And, um... He lists her. And surprisingly enough, she's like, yeah, I'm down. You know, let's do this. We'll, 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 we'll get rid of her. So they go and they have this adventure. They try to drag her through the house, get her into the garage, try to get her out of, the, you know, into the, the small little car. They have to open the garage to, to get the car out so they could put her because she's a very large woman. She's like, uh, I think they said she's almost six foot tall. She is six foot tall. She's over 350 pounds. She's a big, large woman. And these are, you know, English compact cars, like minis in my head, I'm assuming. And, um, you know, so it takes effort. And as it's it's, uh, – they're trying to put her into the back seat – the, the nosy next door neighbor comes up and and it just it's it's hysterical you're laughing all the way through this thing you're like you know what else could go wrong well yeah you get to the point where they're gonna dump the body and something definitely goes wrong and it surprisingly it's not the husband who's like ah uh, yeah no this isn't gonna happen it's actually the friend the wife of the, the guy the retired cop that makes the final decision and it is it, it it's just it's funny it's the, the ending just had me laughing and it was probably like three o'clock in the morning when I was reading this so it just it really tickled my funny bone and it was just really enjoyable it, it almost it almost felt like and here I go you know referencing you know pop culture and movies and stuff uh, it, almost like a Throw Mama from the train kind of feel with John Candy, you know it just uh, kind of had that, you know. That's if if Mama was you know six foot one, large lady, that's kind of what I saw in my head. So there you go. Uh, and then look, let me back that up. Sorry about that, Peter. Uh, and that is a good way to go. Part two by Peter Estall. Okay, now we jump to Office Spouse by Walter Giersbach. And I've known Walter for a long time. I've always enjoyed his writing. Um, and I get his humor. That's that. I, I, I enjoy his action adventure because that's like his main forte his action or action suspense. And he, he weaves a a seriously intense story, but he also has this humor, which cracks me up. And he presents that here in office spouse. Um, you know he he brings this funny story. It's about Stacy and Adam, and they're they're just two people that work at this office. Um, though Adam is married, but he's on the verge of getting divorced. Rumor has it, and Adam makes this comment about you know being office spouse, and that did not sit well at all with Stacy. But, you know, uh, according to the story, they go out, they smoke, they talk, they chit-chat, they eat together, they or, you know, take lunch together. They're they're basically that's his work wife. And it just it <laughs> no matter what she says, what she does, we find out that she's not interested in in being the work wife. But or or office spouse as as the story is, but she she seems to be stuck with it no matter what she's stuck with it and it, it's just it's a laugh it's enjoyable and like I said I really get Walter's humor and it, it really shines through he's he, to me I've not had an, a privilege to meet him in person but he seems like he would be hysterical to meet in person he like a, he would always have a wise crack under his sleeve, ready to fling out and get people laughing. And that really comes through in this story, which is Office Spouse by Walter Gozbach. Okay, so that is it for stories. We are completely finished with stories. Now we're going to move into poetry. And our first uh, contributor in poetry this time is Linda Imbler, and she brings us old-time religion after the age of Corona. Now, I like this poem as it speaks to me as as someone who holds faith during this pandemic. Um, you know, we, we're we all here. We're all in in some type of... Well, that's not true. I live in California, so California is a, kind of an extreme freak-out mode right now. So, for the second time in a row, we are in lockdown. And you know, it's, it it wears on you. It wears on you as a human being. You know, there's depression and and everything that goes along with being locked down and dealing with this pandemic. And she talks about that and she brings it into a, a faith based ideology. And it was very powerful. And it's not that long. I mean, poetry is usually not that long, but it's, it's well-crafted, and it spoke to me on that type of personal level. And again, that is Old Time Religion After the Age of Corona by Linda Imbler. Well done, and welcome to the world of myth. Okay, now we go to another new contributor, a poet by the name of Jack D. Harvey, and he brings us Penelope again. Now, what this is, this is a great piece about penelope who is the wife of odious uh in the greek mythology so odious is still gone and we're assuming he's still in the, the trojan war and we we read and we learn about how penelope creates uh false hope for herself as she waits for odious to return and i really like this because obviously we're talking the world of myth which is the name that i gave this magazine which kind of means i kind of like mythology uh just so happens i am a fan of greek mythology and when i was reading this and i picked it up and i was like oh okay i know exactly what you're talking about i was really excited because we don't really get a lot of mythology in the world of myth um so once it came in, it was Greek mythology at that. I, I really I was excited. It, it shot me back to when I was younger when I first fell in love with Greek mythology. And I learned about it for like years. I was I was so dived. It was just it was amazing. I, I still love it to this day. So thank you so much, uh, Mr. Harvey, and welcome to the world of myth. That was Penelope Again by Jack D. Harvey. Wow, it was it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for submitting. Next up is Starlight by Christopher Bice. Um, for me, this was an uplifting poem about life and the energy that surrounds such the life, the life force, the spirit. Um, how it's free to travel the universe until it becomes one and that's that's kind of what i got out of this out of this poem is that he he was speaking about his soul his life force um and how it was free from the human body and how it, it soared through the galaxies and the universe of unknown nothingness until it was finally becomes one with everything or nothing it was. Uh, it was. I don't know. It was, to me, I found it very uplifting. It was very sweet. And I, I know that sounds weird, but that's just the way that I interpret it. And that was the kind of the, how my my mind responded. It was like, oh, this is very sweet. This is very poetic. No pun intended. Um, it was. It was uh, very uplifting. You just kind of sit there, and you just kind of you see. And in my head, you know, I seen this ball of energy, ball of of Light or soul or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, as it's speeding through the, the vast darkness of space into the big light at the end of the tunnel. That's just the way I, I interpret it. And, I again, I, I'm a, a fan of Chris's poetry. And I am very happy to have him as part of the World of Myth alumni. So thank you so much, Chris. That is Starlight by Christopher Bryce. Then we come to Syncan for Deluse. Um, I'm pretty sure I <laughs> I uh, mis mispronounced that, and I, I can uh, oh actually it's Del Delu, huh? Deluse, it's French Deluse, and this is a very smart piece by Mister Stephen Bruce and. I wonder if he knew anybody was going to figure this out. It's a poetic review of Anne Louise... uh, How do I pronounce his name? De De Jouette. And it's uh, the scene of Deluche. Very clever. Very, very clever. Because everything that he puts into the, the, the poetry... Is what is happening in this picture. Now, if you've never seen it or you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, go Google the painting, um, and then reread the poem as you're looking at the painting. And it, it literally the paint the poem is telling you exactly what there is about the painting. It was very clever, very smart writing, and I really I enjoyed it. I, because I picked it up. I was like, yay, you made me feel smart. <laughs> so there you go. And that is by Mr. Stephen Bruce. Sincan for Delouche. Or Delouche. I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. I don't speak French. If Steph was here, she she could say it. I can't. I can't do speak I can't. I can you know Hable español see but no 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 French. Sorry guys. <laughs> Next up is Something, or Like Some Snowflake, Pain Has Vanished by Maria Tanu. It's a poem about a person who's trying to get rid... How do I say this? Herself of, of some sort of like eternal pain. There's something inside of her that is bothering her. Now, at first I thought it was physical pain. But after the part where it says, um, I cannot know the truth back then, that tells me otherwise. That tells me that it's not physical, that it's something internal. And she's trying to crush it and crumble it into nothingness and so she can move on with her life. And like a crumbled snowflake, she's trying to get rid of the pain, make it go away. And I, I... picked up on that and that was very powerful very emotional so well done Maria and you know it's it's just one of those things where we all fight with pain you know we all fight with something and when you you bring it and you set it out and you put it in front and, and for everybody to to see you know at whether whatever medium it be in, in poetry artwork or stories You know you're you're putting yourself out there, making yourself vulnerable. So thank you for doing that because I to me I seen that as a personal part of you as a like a personal struggle that you are fighting, trying to get rid of some type of pain. So thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of the world of myth, and thank you for contributing. To me it was a very powerful piece, and that was Maria Tuanu, or Tuanu, like some snowflake. Pain has vanished. Very, very good. Okay, let's turn to the next page of my notes as we look at Forever Isn't Long Enough by Jeff R. Young. First, let me go... oh It's a love poem. It was so cute. It was sweet. Yes, I said cute. I can do that. Um, um, it's a love poem about connecting with a woman of affection, um, a goddess, and how he wishes to be with her forever. But for the narrator, or the the one telling the story, forever, the idea of forever isn't long enough for him. And it's because he loves this, this goddess, this woman, so much that... Even forever for him is not long enough. And again, and I said this previously when we were talking about his, his work on uh, The Rising. Jeff is an amazing poet. He is an absolutely amazing poet. And he sets forth and he puts it right here in these words, you know, just to prove just how good he is. So well done, my friend. And that is Forever Isn't Long Enough. By Mr. Jeff R. Young. Good work, my friend. Okay, then we jump to the next one. Yeah, we've got a lot of poetry this time around. And this one is "The Color of Red" by John W. Flukinger. Um, this one is a—it's a, a, a classic type of. Poetic interpretation of the color red as it moves, it, you know, it's simplistic and it gives you, you know, the the basic emotions of what when you think of red, you know, and it moves to, you know, like the passion and the fire, you know, things you associate red with. And it, and as it moves from, you know, the emotion and the simplicity, it becomes more symbolic, you know, uh, as it becomes Itemized, It becomes actual, you know, like I said, fire. Uh, and it's it's very... To me, it's very classic literature. Uh, you know, it, it's the type that you could read. It doesn't matter if you would were to read this, you know, in 1920, 1820, or 2020. It works because it's classic literature. It's classic poetry. It, it, it's just very, very well-written, very educated, and very thought-provoking, no matter what era of life we're in. So that is The Color of Red by John W. Flukinger. Well done, and thank you for contributing to The World of Myth again. We're we're very happy to have you. Okay, next up is from our editor-in-chief herself, Stephanie J. Barty, and it is, And You Were Real. Uh, this is a sweet poem of perhaps someone lost. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. While the poem is full of passion and sorrow, it makes the reader wonder if the narrator knew or tried to convince themselves that the person was real. Now, if you read it, you're you're thinking that she's having a memory. But then you look into the, the subcontext of it, and you, you're starting to wonder... And you have to wonder what she's writing. Did it actually happen, or was it a fantasy that was created in the mind? It's it's one of those thought-provoking poems that you really you have to. It's all based on interpretation, obviously. But it was just one of those ones that I actually sat and I was like, I had to sit and think about it. You know, what as far as like trying to to figure out. Was this something of fact or fiction? It was really well written. And she hasn't written anything in a while. So it was it was good to have her words on this issue. And that was And You Were Real by Stephanie J. Barty. Okay, let's move on to the next one. The next one is A Story to Be Told by Anne Christine Tabaka and this one is a poem it's it's a a fantastic comparison of how life and writing are connected um perhaps in a a person's life or in like self-reflection um i i totally agree with the final line of you know it, it says we are all but a story to be told that is so true um not to to get into too long because we're already over you know uh, an hour and some change. Um, my my great grandmother she raised me and she would she died of of Alzheimer's and and one of the the last conversations that we had she had a moment of clarity and she explained to me that writers were a gift from God because writers were the only people that kind of could understand what God would go through as they created life, they created worlds, they created situations, and then they had to end life. And it was a a very special, you know, that's why there isn't that many writers compared to everything else in, in the world is because writers hold a special place in God's heart. So with that said, that that's, that's what popped into my head when I read this because it, it just kind of refreshed that memory and how we all are we all are adventures in life we've all had some type of an adventure in life or we're still having adventures in life that could be nothing more than just a story to be told and it, it's just it, it was wonderful it was a great uh, great poem and like i said it was it was it touched me on a personal level because it made me think of something that was told to me a long time ago by my great grandmother. So thank you so much for this submission this time around. I really enjoyed it. I like her work as well. Um, And that is a story to be told by Anne Christine Tabaka. Then we round out the poetry with Emo Kevin Magnus or... I don't know if I can do that and say that. I will not get sued. Um, it's it's interesting because Kevin is known for his brooding, dart, everybody hates him, he hates everybody, poor me. Poetry, I mean, that's just what it is. And that's kind of where it starts out. Um, is It's a narrative about a person wrapped in in depression uh and it it talks about how he feels like he's been forgotten and you know he just he's ready to die he doesn't care he just just does not care and then surprisingly all his friends and family appear and prove him wrong that people do care about him and it's 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 um it's up actually upbeat for Kevin and how they ripped him from like the hands of depression, you know, and they brought him back to, to where he was, um, you know, not, maybe not completely depression free, but not in the depths of the dark depression of where he was. And it was actually, it it was very uplifting. It was very inspiring. And, and, you know, that's very unlike Kevin, but I enjoy it. I enjoy Kevin's stuff. And, and I can always relate to it on a personal level. And that is Darkness Falls by Kevin Magnus. And that is the end of poetry. All right, gang. We are rounding out the corner. And we are heading straight into artwork with a brand new contributor. Um, and it is, well, let's first start. It, this is the Elvish Gemini by Talia. And I looked at it and I, I find it a combination of anime and realism. It almost has a, a, a feel of not like and when I say 80s animation, I'm not talking like TV animation. I'm like animation in the wayward of like like uh movies, you know, that that type of almost it's almost a sense of realism. Um, there was, it was something that really stood out, um, Ferngoli for, for some reason just popped into my head, you know, something like that, you know, it's anime, but it's got that sense of realism to it. And that's kind of what I get from Elvish Gemini. And I, I really, I, I love artwork. I've always loved artwork before I could read. I loved artwork. So there you go. And that is by our newcomer Talia and that is Elvish Gemini, and welcome to the world of myth, and I look forward to seeing what else you have for us. Then we go to Lily and Abby by Connie Minotono. Minotone-lo. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, to me, Connie has a very Von Bodie feel to her artwork. I, I've... I've actually met her through Facebook before even getting into the world of myth. You know, we had been friends for a while and I always appreciated her art. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I wanted when I, I think about bringing her to the world of myth, I wanted to, to showcase is that she has that modern sense of Von Bodhi, which is kind of like, it's, it's, it's very sexy. And at the same time, it has that sense of innocence of, of the artwork, you know, the, the shading and the, the colors and the, the plumpness of the lines. It, it makes it almost, almost like a, an innocent type feel. But at the same time, it, it has that, that very sensual look to it. And I. I, I'm always, you know, I'm always hesitant to ask artists of, you know, to contribute to, to the world of myth because, you know, they're they're taking a, a chance with us putting their artwork out and, and getting feedback. And she's always been one of the ones that have always been very kind and very welcoming and, you know, giving us contributions for the magazine. So thank you for that, and thank you for this time. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, it made me smile because. Uh, anybody that knows me on a personal level knows that my youngest daughter's name is Lily, too. And it's spelt the same way, L-I-L-Y, and it just made me smile. So thank you so much for that. Okay, we are moving to the next line, and that is Artificial Perfection by Vincent May. Now, I met Vince. Vince and I um, are VAM. A lot of people call him VAM. Uh, he he lives up here where I live in the in the Southern California and we frequent the same comic book shop. And we were introduced and, and, you know, he showed me some of his work. And actually, I've purchased some of his work. Uh, he, he, Vince is this well-trained master of like modern comic graphic novel style artwork. Uh, completely digital. The lines, the colors, they render such a, a visual story that, you know, you look at it and, and you're like, it's a story to be discovered you you set and you look at the imagery and you're like what is happening what is you know you go and you look in the eyes and you see the heaviness in the eyes so you're like wondering why why is the heaviness there what is going on what is the backstory and then for me my imagination starts kicking in and creating this whole story just based on the visual drawing that VAM puts together. And that is like like I said, he is the master of modern comic book art. I really believe that. And I sooner or later he will be working for one of the big three comic books. I I, I will not be shocked if it happens sooner than later. And that is Artificial Perfection by Vincent May. Good job, my friend. And then we come to uh, the last piece of artwork, which is Cove Queen by Rebecca. or no, excuse me, sorry, Rebecca Illich, Lofgren was her maiden name, uh, Rebecca's my sister, she's my biggest sister, um, she, she completely went old school, this is while she was living in Las Vegas, uh, she created this, um, she went with a combination of pencil and ink and color pencils and watercolors and she crafted this and while the public sees perhaps like a mermaid or an atlantean queen um, for me it's just it was an uncanny resemblance to uh, someone that we knew a very young girl um, not I don't even she didn't even make it out of high school she was I think a senior in high school and she was, she was taken away too, too soon by cancer. And I'm looking at her face and I'm like, wow, wow. I don't, and I, I talked to her, I talked to Rebecca about this and I asked her, you know, specifically, was that based on her? And it was just her subconscious kind of coming through. And, um, it, to me, uh, it reaches on a personal level because I, I, I see a, a face of a, of a, of a young girl that's no longer with us, um. And it, it pulls at the heartstrings because she was way too young. But to the public, it is, you know, like I said, a, a mermaid or an Atlantean queen. And that is Cove Queen by Rebecca Illich. And that wraps up our art. And like I mentioned in the beginning, um, we we did not have a new podcast. We did not have a new uh interview or book review or, or art review. That was just because we came out so early and they didn't get the opportunity to to craft what they needed in time. So that's why we are skipping those things because those if you want to hear the review you can go back into the archives of the World of Mythbits and you can listen to Steph cover those, the you know, the interview and the podcast and the book review and art review because all we did was just moved it over to this issue. So you guys, if you happen to miss it, you can read it again. But um MovieGoer Grimm, he okay, MovieGoer Grimm, I don't know how he talked end up end up talking to my son Jay. And they're talking about movies because my son has recently really gotten into horror movies. Now, my son is 18. He'll be 19 in November. And he's never really been into Actually, not ever really been. He's not been into horror movies. He's never been. Not interested. And then all of a sudden, uh, he got into horror movies. And his favorite horror movie right now is called Unfriended Dark Web. Now, somehow he convinced moviegoer Grimm to review Unfriended Dark Web. Now, I've seen the movie. I've actually seen both Unfriended and Unfriended Dark Web. And, um, in fact, I, I think that might be his... I'll have to talk to him and find out. I think that that might be his second movie for this month. I'm not sure. But, anyway, so he goes and he, he watches uh, the Unfriended Dark Web movie for Jay, and he does a review based on his uh, request. And we find out, you know, if, if he agrees with my son as far as, you know, being one of the greatest horror movies. <laughs> now, I I can say, honestly, for me, you know, as, as dad, um, we do, don't say eye to eye. Yes, I do enjoy the movie, but uh, perhaps maybe not the greatest horror movie ever made. So go over there, check that out, and find out if... MovieGargram agrees with me or agrees with my son, Jay. And that is his review of Unfriended Dark Web. Okay, we are down to the last review. Um, And this is Jeff R. Young's video game review of Mass Effect Andromeda for the Xbox One. Uh, and Jeff gives us some background. and He gives us a good, healthy dose of background on the Mass Effect and how gamers thought that the series was going to come to an end, and then when it came back, it came back with Andromeda in 2015, and then we find out, did it work for Jeff, or maybe not so much. And, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the... Xbox, I mean, I, I do have an Xbox 360 still. Um, I don't have the Xbox One. I'm a, I'm a PS4 um, person. I have the 4. But, you know, I, I enjoy the in-depth review that Jeff does on each and every video game review. And, you know, no offense to Kevin. Uh, I know Kevin Magnus comes in once in a while, and he pops in, and he does his little video game review. and That's okay. It's, it's, but, and he knows I mean this with the, you know, the most respect possible. But I, th- I feel like Kevin is, you know, he, he, he kind of talks about old video games, and I get that. But Jeff... Jeff really sits down and he puts his heart into it. He takes it, uh, I think, maybe a little bit more serious than Kevin. And again, I'd say that with all due respect to Kevin. Uh, but I, I think that as far as movie, or movie review, sorry, video game review, I think Jeff does a much better job than Kevin Magnus. And I, even though it's, it's on a different platform... I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. And I think that if you've not been reading them, uh, I think you, you're you doing yourself an injustice. Go over there, take a peek, because he really puts his heart and soul into all of his reviews. And, you know, he's looking for some input. So give him some input. Show him some love. That's what the world myth are about, is showing some love. All right, gang. We are at an hour and 30-plus minutes, and that is... Issue number 86 of the World of Myth. Uh, you can go check us out at www.theworldofmyth.com, or you can check us out at Facebook and Twitter at the World of Myth. Uh, actually, it's the World of Myth at let's see on Twitter at the World of Myth, but for Facebook, it's the World of Myth. Magazine, you'll find us. You can also find the Facebook and Twitter page of the World of Myth Bits. Just type it in, take a search. And if for some reason you want to talk to me, which I don't know why you would, but you are free to email me at dkmontoya at and drop me a line if you want. You can find me on. Pretty much any platform, type in David K. Montoya, and that's me. I've I've got, you know, uh, my monopoly on that. And that is pretty much it. Come back next week. Stephanie will be here. We're going to do – well, not we're. I'm not going to be here. Uh, She's going to do a best of World of Myth, and she's got some very, very, very important news to share with you. Um, the listeners of the world of myth bits podcast. So for this week, I am David K Montoya and thank you for having me for this special episode of the world of myth bits. And in the words of Stephanie, see ya. (laughs) World of MythBits.